The View from the Lane is sponsored by Bet365, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. And I'm afraid the only place to start is the decision to give that ludicrous handball penalty against Eric Dyer deep into stoppage time in Sunday afternoon's game between Tottenham and Newcastle United. Um, if you listen to this, you know what will have happened. I think the reaction has been very telling. Jamie Carragher and Steve Bruce, two men who really represent the conscience of football, spoke for the football world afterwards when they gave their reactions. Eric Dyer is jumping for the header. Has absolutely no control at all with his arms are going when he's jumping. I hope that's not a penalty. It he's is. given it. Oh. He's pointed to the spot. Well, another massive call on a handball and Jose Mourinho is second to the call. Eric Dyer can't believe it, he had his back to the situation. But the ball struck an outstretched arm and now that is judged a handball oh, and a penalty. It's an absolute disgrace, an absolute joke. Newcastle fans will be ecstatic, I can understand that, but everybody else in this country will say exactly what I'm saying and what I'm thinking. Eric Dyer jumps for the ball, has no control where his arm's going to be. There's a header half a yard away from him, hits him on the back of the arm, has no idea what's going on. This is a joke, whether it's the Premier League, the FA, FIFA, Kalina, whoever's involved in this, stop it because you're ruining football for everybody. The rules have been there for hundred, hundreds of years. We, we changed them. But VAR for me was supposed to be in for the clear and obvious error of a referee. Now, if you're going to tell me that is handball, then we all may as well pack in. It's a nonsense. It's a nonsense of a rule. It's gone for us today, which I'm delighted. However, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. And um, handball should be deliberate handball. And if you're diving to save a penalty or saving a, saving a shot at goal or whatever, then okay, the rest. I have to say, we all have to look at it. Obviously, I completely agree with the sentiments there of Carrigan and Steve Bruce, although there is something in the way that Bruce says the rules have been there for hundreds of years and we changed them. It makes them a little, sound a little bit like Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park, telling the people that they shouldn't have invented dinosaurs. But, um, Charlie, you were one of the few people who were lucky enough to be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yesterday. Did you, did you have any idea when, when Dyer and Carroll jumped for that ball what was about to happen? 
Um, to be honest, it was kind of grimly predictable because whenever the ball went anywhere near anyone's hands, there were massive appeals to the ref, which is completely understandable because the players know now that there's a reasonable chance they will be given. So there had actually been a couple uh, for both, one for each side actually not long before. So yeah, it wasn't a massive surprise. I mean, all the Newcastle players were appealing loads. I mean, it reminded me the way at Sunday League people appeal for foul throws, basically every throw in, and it's the most tedious thing in the world. Um, but that's what what it's become because the the players know that there is a chance they'll get it. And And I mean... I tweeted this yesterday and I it is a consequence of VAR this is the thing when you you introduce VAR you need there is a there is a need or a perceived need to precisely define the rules and this is the problem it's always been imprecise there's always been a lot of gray but that's been okay you know when you play football when you watch football Handball rule, as much as people are saying it's always been simple, it actually hasn't. It's it, it's funny, it's always been something that's a little hard to define. There have been inconsistencies over things like deliberate, non-deliberate. But roughly speaking, you know when you see one, you know when one isn't. And that's fine. But then you, you introduce VAR and there's this need that you have to be totally binary and precise and and it all comes down i mean it does remind me of brexit you know you had beforehand no genuinely like as if as if this var would be a panacea and t- broad terms like all we want is consistency you know and sovereignty as if these are really simple things and the point is it's not consistent like there are going to be lots of gray areas context is important and we've created this monster and and this is what we've got um and yeah, I mean, that that to me is the issue. When you have something like VAR, you, you feel the need to go down this path and it's just really, it is bleak and it's depressing and it's, and it's boring. Do you remember when IFAB had that bus and they wrote on the side that they were going to save loads of money with VAR and put it into youth football? Do you remember that? That was, that was crazy. Exactly. <laughs> now look at it. Right now, we're offering listeners the opportunity to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. Access all of our articles on Spurs and so much more, including Charlie's piece today on Jose's siege mentality. The offer is only running for a limited time, so go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and pay just £1 per month. And what, what we've got now basically is, is a situation where we're looking for like really spurious reasons to disallow like proper goals in open play. And also really spurious reasons to give penalties. So we're going to see like more and more penalties given and fewer and fewer proper goals. It just seems like you're going to make this like a sort of stop-start nonsense sport with ludicrous rules. Like You know, it's going to be like, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's, it kind of feels like it's more of a TV, a TV sport now, like a spectacle on television rather than a, like a, a kind of a proper spectator sport. It's like a sort of, I don't know, it's almost going to become like WWE or NFL or some ludicrous thing like that. It's just a load of nonsense. I, I just can't understand how, you know, the, the gatekeepers of the game think this is really actually working and that this is a move in the right direction. Having seen, you know, w- what we saw, particularly in the first couple of weeks of the World Cup two years ago and in and in the Champions League the following season and in the Premier League last season, I, I just don't see how what they change is a move in the right direction. It's, it's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, as for this decision, I, and for what it's worth, I, I tweeted this yesterday and I think some people disagreed, but I, I don't think it's entirely down to VAR or the rule, although obviously there are factors in it. I I think this referee, with respect, I think has made a couple of mistakes there. Firstly, I I don't think it's a free kick. 
for Jolene Turner on Hoiberg. If you look at it from another angle, which is the angle roughly the linesman would have had, and I think I think given the referee was looking the other way, you can only assume that the linesman is is, is given that foul. Jolinton, like <laughs> from like three or four feet away, throws himself into Hoiberg, like kind of full length, like like it's some sort of like ancient Greek sport or something. He's like throwing himself like cannonball style into Hoiberg to get the free kick. I know some people think there's an offside there, but that's a whole other thing I don't want to get into. I think, you know, the way we look at offsides now, as you were kind of alluding to before, Charlie, is ludicrous and it's a waste of time. But but clearly, Carroll heads that ball. He's, he's so close to Dyer, who is obviously facing in the other direction. And I think I'm right in saying there's something in the law that says if the distance is so short that the player couldn't possibly move their hand or arm out of the way, then you can overrule the penalty decision or not give a penalty in this instance. And, and, and in addition to that, there's also a push in the back from Lascelles on Dyer, which is why, I mean, you can see Dyer's body shape change. He, his, his back arches outwards. His arms go up further because he's had that little, a little touch in the back. And he doesn't take much when you're in the air to completely you know, knock you off balance and you, you change your body shape and throw your arms up. So that's why his arm is up in the first place. And that's why the ball has hit his arm. And last but not least, just to add insult to injury, this, happened, this was allowed to happen in the fifth minute of, of added time because there were two extra minutes added when Lascelles was rolling around on the floor in the second half when the ball hit him on the hand and he was pretending it hit him in the body, if you remember. So not, not only should Spurs probably, on the basis of this decision we saw in the 95th minute, have had a penalty of their own, the, the one that Newcastle did get also only happened because the time was added on after that as well. So all, all in all, I'm delighted. It's terrible. Charlie, Like it's weird like, watching it. It made this is like the first time I've thought this. It made me think, Christ! Like I'm, I'm almost pleased that there weren't sixty thousand fans in the ground because like the reaction would have been so awful and toxic, and people would have been so furious and pissed off, and also confused because, of course, like as a fan, you're the last person. If you're a fan in the ground, you are almost literally the last person to know what's going on in these instances. Like even in the ground, Charlie, was there much of a sense of like, oh my god, I can't believe what's going on here? Yes and no, because we all have TV, so it is very different from kind of the normal um, fan experience and, and I actually had my headphones in at that point so I was listening to the commentary so had a, had a reasonable sense um, but on that fan point and I know this is something I've gone on about as well and I, I know I've spoken to, to James about it like it does the, the worst thing about VAR is that it, it means you can't celebrate goals and that is so much the case when you're at games because when you're at games you really have no often the sight lines mean you have no real sense of offsides and things like that so you're just constantly waiting for VAR to intervene and it's completely overtaken um, and and just made it such a, a worse experience for for fans and yeah that there weren't fans yesterday I mean yeah as you say the reaction would have been would have been awful I think it's just like yeah amongst those of us that are there it was just disbelief and a bit of sadness and I know you know grand scheme of things <laughs> there are far bigger things to worry about but it, it does just feel like surely I, I'm just hopeful that it, it's the the application is terrible I mean in my in my mind I would love to just get rid of VAR completely and I hold my hands up I, I thought it'd be a good thing when it came in but I, I think it's fine to just admit we got it wrong you know and we had this imperfect system before but it was still a system that you got 90 odd percent of decisions right and we've traded in like the joy of scoring goals and so many other things for the sake of maybe improving that, but also realizing there is no objective truth anyway, and it's open to yeah, interpretation. That's completely. That, that's how I feel about it. Like I used to be pro VAR, uh, having seen. You know, I think it's. I think it's worked pretty well in cricket. 
But I just think now the more I watch it, and this is as true of offside as it is of handball, like the price isn't worth the prize. Like the prize, which is going from, I don't know, let's say 90 to 95%, 90s 98% accuracy on these decisions isn't worth like the, the absolute vandalism that it's done to just like the processes of the football match, which are really what, and the rhythm of the game and being able to enjoy the moments of the game. The thing is, I think we get more decisions now that will universally be accepted to be absolute bollocks than we got before. Like that, that, that one yesterday, I think uh, even even Newcastle manager is saying it's a nonsense and all of the Newcastle fans I've said on Twitter, as much as they've enjoyed it and they're delighted with the point, um, they, they all agree it's a nonsense. And we've seen several, just, just this season, and we're only three games in that everyone agrees is a nonsense. Like you're getting far more universally decried decisions than you ever did before. So how can you possibly say it's helping in any way? It's, it's just like... It's sort of shifting. It's sort of shifting the deck chairs on a Titanic, isn't it? It's it's like we're getting different things wrong, but we're still getting things wrong. I don't really see how that's helpful at all. And as Charlie says, you're kind of sucking the life out of the the match day experience for the for the for the you know for the paying fans, so the fans who are actually forking out hundreds, thousands of pounds every year to go and watch the game in the stadium. It's ludicrous. Well, that's the thing. We're, yeah, we're realizing that you know the laws applied to the letter is not necessarily the best way because there are just so many grey areas and you know rules that are overlooked and that kind of thing and uh, one thing I, I go back to and, and this is actually my brother's point but he which is so true about like that thing about match going fans often if you're an away fan for instance you're not really expecting oh, let's say and, and there was an example I think it was Boxing Day or around Christmas last year and it was it was Newcastle actually and they played United away and, and they lost something like 4-1 and, and if you're a Newcastle fan you know you're probably expecting you're going to lose you go there for just like a moment that you take that moment, but then they and they did score, but the goal there was this lengthy VAR check, and you and you suck the life out of just that, and it's like, well, what's the point? It's so transactional, and I really, really wish they could get rid of it, and it's it's affected me to the point where, like, I'll, I don't know if any of you do this. It's probably just me because I'm really weird, but I'll watch old goals on Sky Sports Premier League or whatever, and I'll think like, oh, that would. God, that would be checked now and that sort of thing. It's just like, it's it's horrendous. And I was always someone at games as a fan who, because I'm paranoid, as soon as a goal went in, I'd always glance over the linesman just just as a check. Um, and uh, yeah, and now it's the case that goals don't go in. That, that glance lasts five minutes now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, honestly, I was, I was watching a game with my wife and she's like, oh, you, she's like, have they just scored? Are you not celebrating? I was like, I, I just don't want to do that to my, I don't want to, celebrate and then have my kind of hopes dashed and I know look and I'm sure lots of fans are feeling like that and again all, all, all checking you know how relatively important this stuff is but if you can't celebrate goals that's it's pretty bad yeah it is really bad and also I have no I don't really have any confidence it'll get better because so there was a really good conversation on match the day two on Sunday night where Jermaine Genus and Mark Chapman were making the point that the issue here is that PGMOL have brought English football basically in line with UEFA and FIFA because you know the the handballs that we're seeing now in the Premier League are basically the same handballs that we thought were ridiculous at the last World Cup and then of course in the Champions League after that but now that England has got the same rules in place here that is but what, what's basically happened is that in an attempt to narrow the definition of handball to make it more specific, they have almost by mistake massively broadened the definition of handball by taking out deliberate and by saying that even accidental handballs can be handballs. They've massively broadened the scope of handball, and that's what we're now seeing in the UK. But if 
I just don't really have any confidence that watching this suddenly like PGMOL will say, you know what, IFAB, you can stick your rules. We're going back to the, the traditional English definition of handball, which of course is what we, which, which I think is ultimately what we need to happen here. Like we need some kind of British autonomy on these decisions because it's just terrible. But the irony of that is that I feel like in the Champions League, it's, the VAR has done far more efficiently and, and uh, effectively. And that feels like it's because... They almost, and I don't, I don't know if this is an official policy or whatever, but it feels like if there's a decision that's going to take five minutes to analyse, if they can't sort of solve it straight away, they seem to move on quite quickly. I don't know if it's that. It feels like the English refs are applying things extremely heavy-handedly and literally for, and maybe it's for fear of reprimand. But that, but because you look at someone like Michael Oliver. And he actually seems more like in that continental model. I feel there have been a few times where we've kind of moved on from things fairly swiftly. But then you're in the realms of like, well, why is it that not everything's being looked at? And that is the case. Like, I do find it weird with VAR, like the penalty that Tottenham should have had yesterday. It just seems like some things are kind of brushed over quite quickly and others are looked at in forensic detail. And you can kind of like get away with some. But, and I feel another, and I don't know. I mean, like in, in other leagues, is it, is it as pronounced or are, are others kind of using VAR better? Um, or is it just that we're, you know, we're reacting to it with more hostility than other countries? I, I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But do you know what I mean, Jack, about the Champions League? Like it doesn't, I feel like it's not as bad there. Yeah, they, they are quicker. They are quicker in the Champions League, I think. But equally, when these first start happening in the Champions League, so the ones that stand out to me are the PSG United yeah the Kimpembe one against United there was an Otamendi one against Schalke I think where his arm was like Danny Danny Rose against Man City Danny Rose against City all of which where the arms were in like they would never have been given like five four years ago and yet these are now like understood to be handballs I kind of got used in the Champions League I got incredibly angry about it for a bit being like these aren't handballs but then I kind of got used to it they're just UEFA handballs it's okay but now we're getting these UEFA handballs over here I'm uh, I really I really struggle with it. Like I, I hate it. It is like Brexit. You're right. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's turned me. Like I, I always considered myself a bit of a Romaniac, and yet now I just uh, I want Rossetti and Kalina can keep their handball rules themselves. Thank you very much. Anyway, uh, for 95 minutes, Charlie, I thought Tottenham looked pretty good, and that's a, sh- it's a shame that we've had to spend the first chunk of this podcast complaining about the t- awful handball rule. Yeah, they were good. I mean, it was one of one of the certainly the first half. I thought it was one of the most fluent attacking performances uh, Spurs have had under Mourinho. You know, they got the goal that they really needed to open Newcastle up. They looked dangerous on the counter. You know, I think I put in my piece kind of on the game, which looked at kind of how Mourinho can use this injustice to galvanise the team. But uh, they had 23 shots, which was their joint most in the Premier League game under Mourinho, 12 on target, which is their most under Mourinho, and 37 touches in the opposition box, which was their most under Mourinho. So there were encouraging signs against an albeit pretty limited Newcastle team you would just say that they didn't put their chances away and and like certainly the feeling around me in the press box was you know jitters that they hadn't put the game to bed and there was a lot of talk of that Tim Krul performance in a 1-0 win for Newcastle in 2013 so the fear was always there and that was the only thing really that you'd um, criticise them for yesterday was that they didn't take more of their chances but it, but yeah it, it is a shame because it was in many ways a really encouraging performance For me what was so impressive is like one of the big questions that we've often asked about Tot- Mourinho's Tottenham on this podcast is can they unpick 
compact defences. Like, you know, we we know that we saw them ab- tear Southampton to pieces the other day because Southampton were basically defending on the halfway line for their own strange reasons. Whereas, like, can you defend nine, ten men camped in their own... Can you attack, sorry, against nine or ten men camped in their own box? And they did that yesterday. And I know they only scored one goal, but, James, like, there were, you know, on a different... On another day, they could have scored four or five. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should look at that first half and the chances they, they had. And I think they're actually, for the, just for the first half alone, I think it was 2.8 or something something like that. I, I don't think you could look at that and say they struggled to break down that defence. And, you know, this is, this is Newcastle effectively playing a flat-back five. And Spurs, you know, were able to kind of play through them and create some good chances. You know, they hit the woodwork twice, had one or two good saves from Darlow in that first half. Uh, uh, you know, and they created a range of chances from kind of left to right across the pitch. It wasn't like they were getting joy with one particular space between two of those defenders I don't think necessarily are. it felt like they were kind of able to move the ball around and exploit a few gaps across that across that defence I felt like uh, Lascelles I mean I don't know about you two thought I've seen, I've seen tweets arguing this both ways but I thought Lascelles playing that a little bit higher up the pitch because um, kind of effectively as a number 10 really felt like it worked and it enabled them to, to move the ball across a little bit quicker whereas before maybe they've laboured a bit to to get the ball from side to side quickly enough to, to, to create those little gaps. I thought the sell side did really well in, in kind of scuttling around and shifting the ball left and right. Yeah, agreed. I thought he played really, I thought he was really effective in that role. And, and that has been something we've hoped for, hasn't it? That he could be the guy to, to unlock defences in that uh, kind of Ericsson mould. I thought he played really well. I thought Hoybier was really good. Um, much improved from kind of a difficult debut a couple of weeks ago. Um, so yeah, there were encouraging signs. And Hoybier got picked out on match the day too as well for passing the ball forward. Um, there were a number of times where he seemed to make a really quick forward pass to one of the front three players or Lacelso. I guess with Lacelso as a front four, and by doing that, Spurs were able to kind of get through Newcastle pretty quickly in a way that sometimes with Tottenham, you know, it's a little bit too sideways and sideways, and they never really get through the opposition so in that sense I mean if you can do that every week then Spurs are going to be fine yeah Winks played some forward passes like some good forward passes as well like it wasn't um, I, I know Hoybier got uh, sort of more of the credit but I thought Winks did that as well so yeah um, I mean we should talk as well shouldn't we about j- just in that number 10 role the fact that Delhi wasn't in the squad again and kind of I mean, because I'm really torn on this. Like, I do... Clearly, it is a really... It, it's a big story because you've got a guy who was such a key player now not in the squad. But just looking at the matchday squad for Sunday's game, and really, I think it would have been... He would have had to drop Lamella from the squad. You know, it looked like a choice, really, look, looking at the makeup of the bench. And and I do feel like, you know, had, had he... Lamella scored a midweek and played well. And if he had dropped Lamella... I do think if you're trying to get a message across that it is democracy and that everyone's starting equal, I don't think that would have sent out the best message necessarily. So I, I do think there was a logic to that. And, I th- and I'd recommend Daniel Taylor's column on this. It's, it's very good, very balanced on kind of on that um, Mourinho Delhi dynamic. But, you know, in my head, I do think Delhi is going to get chances. He, he started on Thursday and, and was okay, but, you know, didn't do loads. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what, what you guys made of that and and of that dynamic more generally. I mean, I think it was a surprise to not see him in the 18 before uh, Sissoko came out and was replaced by Jetson. I mean, you can kind of see why Jetson would have come in uh, given you're kind of looking for a central midfield player rather than an attacking midfield player, maybe. I guess. And he was the 19th man. Yeah, exactly. It kind of feels Jetson. like that that would be a more logical switch. But who would you have dropped from the squad? Well, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, I... It's a, it's a surprise to not see him but then as you say when you sit there and kind of go through it and think well 
Lamina played well in midweek and Dombele was brilliant in the last couple of games and the last thing you really want to do is kind of destroy his confidence now in this moment um, you know we know how important a Celso is you're not going to drop a Kane or a Son I, I mean people would have people would have question marks over Lucas I mean they're different players and you know Lucas has scored the goal in the end so you'd probably say that was justified even though he wasn't I didn't think it was particularly brilliant uh, so yeah yeah, I, I think you're right. It's more about the quality of the squad now and the depth that they've got that, that's created as much of a problem for Deli Ali as anything else. Um, and he's going to have to he's going to have to play well to get back in, which is the way it should be, right? Yeah, yeah. I completely understand the logic for what Mourinho is doing. It, it just is still a massive demotion, ultimately, isn't it, for for someone who has been such a big part of everything that Tottenham have done well over the last sort of five years. Now to be not making match day squads in the Premier League. When he's, you know, he's, I mean, he's not currently an England international, but he's played for England and he's on big money and he's just a big, big name. And he, for him not even to be getting the squad for a Premier League game, it does, you know, there, it, clearly there is like but, a bigger picture here about Delhi's future. I don't know, but I mean, what you're, what you're effectively saying there is Lamella should not be in the 18 because Delhi Ali's paid for England and earns loads of money. That's kind of what you're saying there. I mean, that doesn't, that's, that isn't really logical, uh, is it? No, no, I, yeah, like, I'm not. You're right. Like I would, I completely see why Mourinho would pick Lamella over Delhi. So I'm not saying it's the wrong decision to do it. I'm just saying that it it does massively stand out at you. Yeah, yeah, okay. And generally, and generally speaking, like generally speaking, managers don't make decisions like this unless they want to prove a point. Like I don't think most managers. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think most managers would just prefer the easy life of picking their underperforming big name player on the bench rather than dropping him and then knowing that they'll get tons of questions about it I think I, th- I think that's true I, d- I do also think though it's partly the fact we frame everything through the Mourinho lens and 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 often that's with good reason but I do think as I said I think if this was Arteta we'd be saying absolutely fair play to him you know he's showing there are non-negotiables in this squad it's all going to be on merit etc etc whereas with Mourinho we say it's a kind of coded message uh, you know to the board or whatever and and look sometimes it will be but it's weird because we we necessarily have to look at all kind of micro decisions uh, and you know place a huge amount of importance on them really we'll only get a sense of how big a decision this is in say January and like 20 odd games would have been played and maybe Delhi has got his place back and he's played a bunch of games and we don't really remember this obviously there is a chance that it's the beginning of the end and as you say Jack clearly it's it's noteworthy because it's someone who went from being like the boy wonder to not even getting in match day squads. But yeah, it will be interesting. It'll be revealing the next few weeks, I guess. The one situation it reminds me of a little bit in that sense, and I think this backs up your argument, is John Stones at City. So John Stones is a bit like Delhi in the sense that young young player, you know, hugely rated through his teens and early 20s, got in the England team, played at the World Cup. Everyone thought he was going to be a big superstar and then for whatever reason the last few years he's lost the trust of his manager. And he kind of routinely doesn't make City matchday squads when he's fit, Stones. Maybe because it's the difference between City and Tottenham or because he's a centre-back and Delhi's an attacking player. But I don't think that when every time Guardiola leaves Stones out of a matchday squad, he gets given the same number of questions about it. And it's not like thought to be as big a deal. Maybe it's just how sometimes how these managers act. Like they, you know, even even having been an England international and a big name doesn't necessarily get you get you a place on the bench. Um, someone else I wanted to mention because he was very good again is Tangi podcast favourite Tangi and Dombele. 
uh, Charlie, he looked really, really good when he came on at the end. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, some really nice touches. And, you know, on Thursday, his first 90 minutes of 2020, only a second under Mourinho. And I did, you know, my piece on that was, uh, on that game, uh, was about Ndombele and, you know, speaking to people around him who were really positive about how, uh, you know, how he's feeling. And, and that seemed to be the general mood at the club that, you know, a bit of a corner has been turned. So, Long may it continue because, as you say, a podcast favourite and I think a favourite of, if, if not a favourite of most fans, certainly the idea of him is really exciting because his ceiling is so high, the way he plays is so exciting, uh, you know, he's so skillful. So, yeah, ho- hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see more of that. And, you know, he played, he started two games in a row, which again, uh, you know, Southampton, then Shkendir, that's only the second time he's done that under Mourinho. So it does feel like he is starting to earn the manager's trust. And yeah, he came on yesterday when, you know, previously Tottenham defending a one-goal lead, there's just no chance Ndombele would have come on. And he certainly wouldn't have stayed on for the whole 90 minutes in Shkendia when at one all Mourinho made a double change and they were actually really, it felt like they were suddenly up against it. And, you know, the qualifying for Europa League is massively important. So the fact that he... You know, he did stay on. It is to me more important. You know, some people are saying, "Well, it was only Shkendia. Who cares how well he played?" But the fact that it was only Shkendia didn't change how important that game was to Tottenham. So, yeah, I think really positive signs. Hopefully, I'm not getting my hopes up. I mean, that that, that all ties into the Deli Ali stuff as well, doesn't it? Because you know, in June or July, I don't think any of us really would have expected Ndombele to be as involved if he was still at the club at all in as many games this early in the season as he has been. And and you know. You look at Deli Ali's situation now, and at the moment, it kind of feels like he's on the fringes and only going to be getting further away. But actually, the reality is things can change quite quickly, can't they? Things do change quickly, but like at the moment, we're in this weird position where if you're looking, I suppose you're going to play this sort of 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, where they've got Hoiberg and then, let's say, Winks or Hoiberg and Soko as the deeper options, and then one other guy to provide sort of goals and assists pushing further forward. I think Delhi might be the th- number three in the pecking order behind Lacelso and Ndombele now, bizarrely. I think Lacelso and Ndombele are both, I think they give you more creativity. They're more likely to create chances for their teammates than, than Delhi is. And as good as, I'm kind of arguing against the point I made two minutes ago, but it's almost like now, I'd if, like from a Spurs perspective, I'd rather see Lacelso or Ndombele getting into those positions than I would see Delhi. I just think they're more likely to do something. I think that's true, but I just think the fact that, you know, if we were talking in December of last year, Delia just scored five goals in seven games under Mourinho. It's also could barely get a game and, and Dombele was injury prone. And, and now, you know, we've seen it shift and we're saying that well, now Delhi's third in that order. I just, I just don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that with such a crazy jam-packed schedule where everyone's going to get a chance there are going to be tons of injuries I, I just don't think this is going to remain the state of play for the whole season so. yeah that's fair enough and there already have been injuries because um, Charlie Human Son went off at half time Mourinho said afterwards he's got a hamstring injury what's what's happened there? yeah yeah and Mourinho <laughs> when asked if he'd be out for a long time said he thought yes I would caveat though Mourinho is there's a German compound for this which translates roughly as purposeful pessimism and it's that thing that I do this a lot when you're kind of deliberately pessimistic in the hope that somehow that might make things, you know, turn out better. So his prognosis is not always accurate. And I was thinking, I thought of you, James, I, f- I really feel for Jeff Scott 
at this difficult time, the Tottenham doctor who will be charged with kind of keeping Mourinho updated because given Mourinho's mood uh, on Sunday with the handball and with the fixtures in general, if uh, Jeff Scott has to break the news that Son has a serious injury, then I would not want to be that guy. But yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll get an update hopefully soon. I, t- I didn't see, I mean, I, you know, with hamstring injuries, you don't always get like a sort of explosive moment of the player collapsing to the ground. But I didn't see a moment where it looked like he had got injured and it didn't really seem like he was limping off at half-time or whatever. So do we know at what stage in the first half that happened? No, I mean, we, we were the same. Because it, it was interesting, when Bergvine came out early for the second half, so we were aware he was coming on, and we were all worried that it was Harry Kane because Harry Kane had taken a whack to the ankle. We were like, oh God. But no one had even noticed or thought uh, Son was a con- was a contender to come off, so I, I don't know at what point it happened and or, or how early it happened. I mean, remember last year when he got that elbow injury? That happened in like the second minute against Villa, and he played on and scored twice. So yeah, I, I, I don't know the precise moment it happened, which hopefully means it won't be too serious. But we'll see. The the one thing I say about that, which I think Mourinho kind of alluded to in his Sky interview, obviously Son. I think I think those are the, those forty five minutes of the second half yesterday were the first minutes that Son had missed this season. Not that you know. We're too far in, but obviously we've played a lot of games in a very short period of time. And you do wonder, given it's a hamstring injury, whether had there been another centre forward available and um, uh, Son didn't have to play the full 90 minutes on Thursday night, whether perhaps that could have been avoided. But, you know, it's only been three years I've been trying to sign one, right? Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop, and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic to set up your profile, and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything that you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Charlie, where does this leave Spurs for Tuesday? What sort of a team are you expecting to see against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, given Mourinho's comments? I think it will be heavily rotated. Two reasons, obviously. Only having two days uh, from this game is kind of crazy and you know that that never really happens the fact they've then got another game two days later you know add, adds to that they, they Mourinho doesn't like to rotate but he's gonna have to but that said like I I was in my head working out Spurs could rest all 11 starters from yesterday and still have this starting team which to me still sounds pretty decent as a second 11 so it'll be Hart, Aurier, Alderweireld, Tanganga if he's fit which he might be or Foyth, Reguillon, Sissoko and Dombele. Sessegnon or Jedson, Delhi, Lamella, Bergvine. And then you'd still have like Gazaniga, one of Tanganga or Foyth, Serkin, Carter Vickers, White, one of Jedson or Sessegnon and Clark on the bench. So that's all people who didn't start yesterday. And yes, you know, Ch- Chelsea probably will be able to keep most of their team uh, if they want to from the weekend and you would then make them the pretty heavy favourites. But it's not too awful but yeah I suspect there'll be a lot of those that 11 that I just mentioned are going to start with the idea that then you could keep 
most of the kind of first choice 11 as it were available to play both Thursday and Sunday because Thursday's massive and whilst we might think surely they could beat Maccabi Haifa at home with a you know a mixture of first teamers and fringe players there is a lot at stake and Mourinho basically said yesterday they can't afford financially not to win that game and also I think just the effect it would have on uh, you know the direction of travel this season so it is a difficult one and Mourinho has said you know he said after the game yesterday that he wishes he could take the Carabao Cup more seriously but he can't and you know it's the EFL's fault for this ludicrous scheduling Uh, and obviously the scheduling is really difficult it's not that easy because that is just how the calendar's worked out because of it being so compressed. Uh, you know, and maybe he'll go a bit stronger than what I'm suggesting on Tuesday, but I think reluctantly he is going to have to do some pretty heavy rotation. He's got to be off the league cup. You've got, you've got, you've got to just, you've got to just play, you know, play a team akin to the one you've you've listed there, and kind of just hold your hands up and you know say what will be will be. It's unrealistic to expect Spurs to play anything approaching a strong team in, in both of those matches and then be in a state to play against Manchester United on Sunday, which obviously is a massive game as well. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, the cup draw has thrown up Chelsea and then the league game afterwards is Manchester United. You know, and if it had been Accrington Stanley at home and Fulham or whatever in the Premier League, then it's, and it's quite a different proposition. But that's the way it is. You know, I, my, my thing with the League Cup has always been, like, if you go out early, it's not the end of the world if you avoid the kind of the drain of that it's not a disaster and I think in the 16-17 season that we talk about all the time I think Spurs went out of the League Cup in the third round maybe which would have been the first round they played and I think they lost to Liverpool I mean I think you can sort of extract extrapolate from that that maybe that was quite useful in terms of keeping players fresh for the for the rest of the season not going deep in that I, I, I don't think anyone's going to be too upset if, if he makes a lot of changes in Spurs lose a game against a strong Chelsea team you know if, if they play well and we see one or two performance, good performances from fringe players then I think you've got to kind of just go with that really I, I just don't I just don't see that playing strong teams twice in a week is going to help them against Manchester United or in the months or, or weeks ahead yeah so it sounds like then it, this week it's all about Maccabi Haifa then rather than rather than the Chelsea game what do we what, what are we expecting from Maccabi Haifa They've got two interesting players I could find when I took on Wikipedia earlier. They've got Yannick Wilchert, the sort of championship legend who recently played for Middlesbrough, Wigan, Norwich, Cardiff and Bolton. Uh, and they've also got uh, Charon Cherry, who? He's the, uh, he's the like attacking midfielder who had a really good 18 months at QPR about five years ago. So he'd done really well. And I actually interviewed him in 2016. So uh, he's always been like a player who I've kept an eye on. Uh, he was like really good in Holland and I think QPR signed him from Groningen uh, in 2015 and he was QPR player of the season in 15-16 under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank he's like a kind of really busy little number 10 who gets lots of goals and assists and really good on set pieces uh, and then he after about 18 months there he left to go to uh, Guizhou Zhicheng in the Chinese Super League and did two and a half years there before he went to Israel about a year ago to go and play for Maccabi Haifa um, so I'm looking forward to see how he does like they're, so they're, they're seemingly quite good they've come second in Israel in the last two seasons uh, in like what is actually quite a good league like there, there were quite a lot of good players in the Israeli league and a, a little bit of, and a bit of money there so you know it's like fringe European leagues go it's not the worst so they should be of a decent standard but yeah it sounds like it's a game they really have to win Harry's sponsors The View From The Lane a podcast brought to you by The Athletic Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy 
to ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. And now they've released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part? They haven't raised prices. So replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash lane right now. That's harrys.com forward slash lane. And then, of course, after McElby Haifa, it's Old Trafford on Sunday. Um, a game that was one of Mourinho's first games last season. And actually, Charlie, I think the Spurs can win this. Like United aren't good. And also, the way they play, I think, should be quite amenable to how Spurs play in the sense that they're, you know, they'll come out and attack and there'll be space for Spurs to get into. And I don't think United will be quite as good at unpicking Spurs if Spurs defend properly. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder how much it'll come down to kind of what this Tuesday, Thursday, midweek takes out of Tottenham. But I, I definitely agree, all things being equal, I think they've got a chance. And, and there is, it does feel like there is a kind of coherent counter-attacking strategy emerging. You know, we've spoken about the fact that when Spurs have to break teams down, often it can look like a lack of cohesion and choreography. But I do think on the counter, they are dangerous. And so you're right, it'll be interesting if, if you know, they will be set up to defend. And I, and I hope and think Mourinho will learn lessons from that game against United at Old Trafford last year, which, as you say, was a few weeks into his time at Spurs. And they went with quite an attacking 4-2-3-1 and they just got bossed in the middle of midfield. Uh, they really they really struggled to get a foothold. I think it was the dreaded Winks Sissoko uh, axis. So I suspect he will learn lessons from that. Uh, and it, it, will be, it will be an interesting game. I, I just hope they're not too knackered from, from the Tuesday-Thursday turnaround. The thing I'd worry about is that Son injury. If if Son isn't playing, and you know we assume Bale isn't going to play either, then suddenly that 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 attack, particularly on a counter attack, suddenly feels far less threatening, doesn't it? I mean, for, for me, Bergwijn hasn't looked anywhere near as good on the left as he did on the right last season. I thought it was far more dangerous on that side. And given you can probably expect Lucas to play over there at Old Trafford, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be entirely confident that 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 attack would be quite quite so terrifying for Manchester United, but. I mean, I mean, I take your point. I think, I think it is the kind of game that's possibly slightly better suited to them. But yeah, I, I, I would worry that if Son doesn't play, they won't look anywhere near as dangerous. I wonder if it could be um, one for the three-four-three we've talked about, and have you know Reguilón and Doherty providing some of that attacking threat. Yeah, um, that's my bad shout. With Davis as the left-sided centre back. And obviously that is that is Spurs' last game before the international break and after which is West Ham at home on the weekend of the 17th, 18th of October. Charlie, is that when we're expecting to see Gareth Bale for the first time? Currently, yes. That's been earmarked as a possibility. So yeah, lots to look forward to. I mean, I, I, I get the feeling with, you know, for Mourinho and for Tottenham, it's, you know, it's really going to feel like a staggering to the end of this week. And then you you just hope you get through it without too many knocks. And then you're praying that players don't go away on international duty and, and get injured. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that that is the one where hopefully Bale will make his debut. And, and I mean, that does just add such another layer of excitement, doesn't it? Has Bale even started training with the with the main group yet? Don't think so. He hasn't, has he? I wonder if there's any chance he gets like, Chucked on the bench for Manchester United. I'd be surprised from 
He'll play for what the thing is that he'll play for Wales, won't he? He'll play the two games for Wales, which you know m- maybe works for Spurs in terms of him, like, him getting himself mentally and physically ready to play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I just you know who knows. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if that did happen. I feel like particularly if Son is missing, they may and they don't, and things don't go brilliantly this week if they lost to Chelsea. So you do wonder whether that might sort of encourage Mourinho to roll the dice there a little bit. But I mean, if he's not trained with the group at all, then obviously it's not going to happen. Yeah, it does feel like um, this is a, just a week that Spurs have got to get through. Like, I mean, who cares? What, it doesn't really matter what happens against Chelsea. They've just got to fight, scrape past Maccabi Haifa, maybe get a point at United. That would be, what, five points in the first four league games, no more injuries, and then come back for the after the international break for that West Ham game, ready to push on in the Premier League and hopefully the Europa League group stage. Um, one last thing before we wrap up is this is, I think, the last week of the transfer window. Obviously, Tottenham are still pushing for Scrini Arfman to Milan. Uh, Steve Hitchin, the Tottenham, I forgot what his job title is now, but Tottenham transfers guy, was photographed out in Milan talking to Inter along with... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, you've, got, you've got to do that again. What? You've got to really? do that again. Sorry. Really? No, it's yeah. fine. It's fine. It, oh. job, job titles change all the time, James. Um, along with um, three agents from BASE, the big agency that Tottenham do quite a lot of work with. We're very well connected in Italy especially. Um, Charlie, any confidence on Screen ER? Um, I mean, always what we've been told from the very start is that the two clubs are coming at it from very different um, positions valuation-wise. You know, so into holding out for you know up to around sixty million euros. Tottenham wanted to pay a lot less than that. Tottenham, ideally, from what I was told, wanted to get him on a loan um, and then have an option to buy, not even an obligation. So you are talking about two, you know, very different starting points for the negotiations, which is why you know they've been dragging on. But but I am also told that Inter are really uh, kind of struggling financially. So I think there is a hope that that can be preyed on a little bit. It wouldn't surprise me if it was done. And, you know, that would suddenly make this a pretty mega transfer window. I mean, it's worth bearing in mind Tottenham do... I mean, Tottenham have, if you include Tanganga as a centre-back, which is his best position, they do have five centre-backs. Uh, that includes Foyth as well, who may well go Fulham or one of the interested clubs there. But even without him, that's four and that's two for two positions. Obviously, if Spurs played three at the back, that changes things. But yeah, I, I, I can imagine it happening. Whereas, you know, I would have said... Certainly after the Bale-Region deals that, you know, the backup striker was the priority, which it is, but Skriniar is certainly further further along than any uh, deal for a backup striker, which I do think will happen, but it's it will it might go down to deadline day. On backup striker, we, any chance of Milik or will it be somebody not as good? I don't think it will be Milik. Um, everything I've heard so far and been told suggests that's unlikely to happen. So I think it could be someone not as good. I mean, a name that's been mentioned today, and again, this has been shot down very quickly, and apparently there's been no contact between club and players, Christian Benteke, who I don't imagine is someone who fills Tottenham fans with a huge amount of excitement. I mean, this isn't 2013, and we need to remember that. I'd be more into that than I would be Troy Deeney. Okay, yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. He's going to be a good summer, isn't he, Benteke? Is he? He's got. He's. <laughs> it's not 2012. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> Sometimes it's just about instinct, isn't it? And I just have instinctively just think that Benteke might be a slightly better a better fit than Troy Deeney. Just instinctively, so you've got, you've got to go with your gut. Sometimes, Jack. It's not all about. It's not all about numbers in XG and how many goals a footballer has scored. You know, it's sometimes it's about instinct and. Um, 
stuff. How reliable is your instinct? Ah, Charlie, it's incredibly reliable. <laughs> I mean, I knew Spurs were not going to win that game yesterday and I was entirely right. Yeah, okay. So, you know, that's fine. One for one this season. <laughs> one for one. I don't think, yeah. And also like the the standard for what Spurs, I don't want to I don't want to be down on on this because I don't want to like criticize the player before they walk through the door, but like the bar for what Spurs want isn't very high, I don't think. Like it's not exactly. That's why I don't think Milik really makes sense. It's like they're looking for someone. They're not going to. They're not going to sign Milik, are they? That's not going to happen. Yeah. I think everyone knows that. Or, any, or anyone with respect to anyone of any sense. I just don't think they're going to do. You know, are they not going to sign a, a, a big money centre back or commit to uh, putting a lot of money into wages for a, for a centre back on loan of that profile, and then also bring in a centre forward of high profile who's either going to be on big wages or there's going to be a big fee or, or whatever. It's going to be one or the other. And if they sign Skriniar, the centre forward they sign will be Daniel Benteke. Or no one. What about Balotelli? Or <laughs> Balotelli. Well, that, which is why I think is the, the most likely outcome of the whole thing is they sign a centre back and not a centre forward. Yeah. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they didn't sign a centre forward. Also, I was thinking the Sun injury potentially is really bad news and I suspect they're going to want to keep it uh, very under wraps because they could find themselves in a similar situation to what they had with the Kane injury in January where everyone knew they were desperate for a striker if Sun's out for a decent length of time then their desperation goes up a couple of notches and everyone's just going to you know add a couple of however much to, to the, yeah, what they're asking yeah it could happen players. well I hope they get Balotelli now now that I've thought about it for about two minutes uh, 30 how I old is Balotelli birthday so he'd fit the bill oh um, yeah that's good he, would he have played for Mourinho yeah. at Inter? He probably did, didn't he? He must have done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he, he's that famous example when they're, a, they're away in the Champions League game, I think in Russia, and they're without all their strikers. It's like an injury crisis. And Mourinho says to Balotelli, like, please, he's on a booking and he spends the whole of halftime saying to him, like, whatever you do, just don't do anything stupid. Don't don't pick up another booking. You've got to look out for your teammates here. They're relying on you. And, you know, he felt he really connected with him. And I think about five minutes in the second half, Balotelli got sent off. And I think, yeah, one of those where Mourinho was just like, I don't know what to do with this guy. So, yes, absolutely yeah, well, get them back. Get the man back together. Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. You know. I also, I think it would be totally in keeping with this new, like, kind of glam era at Spurs, celebrity era. Um, <laughs> so I'd be all for it. Um, yeah, yeah. Hart and Balotelli back together. I mean, it's Latan in. Balotelli and Zlatan. Steve Hitchin, if you if you listen to this and you're still in Italy, oh, yeah. get him in. Um, <laughs> Tottenham transfer man Steve Hitchin. <laughs> Steve Hitchin in Italy <laughs> drinking his cappuccino, listening to this, thinking actually, yeah, Ben Teke, yeah. yeah, good idea. Uh, so, so I looked it up. <laughs> he is um, technical performance director now at Spurs, and, and I don't think okay. there should be. You can see why he didn't get there's, that. There's no shame in not being able to remember that. Because that's not a job title I've heard before. Anyway, uh, guys, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much to James, Charlie, and producer Tom. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you've got anything you want us to discuss next week, please just tweet us. But we will be back again next week looking back at the Manchester United game and looking forward to the international break. Mm-hmm.